Turn with me this morning to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to break into the reading. We're going to read from verse 8 of Philippians chapter 3. Let's hear the word of the Lord. You find the place. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things, for our conversation is in heaven. For whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Amen. We pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through to 17. Let us reread the word of God. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, where two we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. My theme today is making progress towards spiritual maturity in the Christian life. Now, as you look at this text of Scripture, 
and I'm going to dispense with any other form of introduction. As you think of this text and think of this theme, making progress towards spiritual maturity, there's a number of things that I want you to consider. And here's the first thing. The background to spiritual maturity. Look at verse 15. Look at the opening words. Let us therefore. Now I want you to pause. Notice the comma. Let us therefore. It was the late Dr. Paisley that always told us in the college, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask yourself, what is it there for? And the word therefore, young people, literally means in light of this, or for this reason. Now, what was the Apostle Paul talking about prior to coming to verse 15? And if you examine the context very carefully, he was actually giving his testimony. He has already told us how he started out in the Christian life, how he became a Christian, how, how he got saved. And then he's telling us how he continued in the Christian life and how he then sought to make progress and go on with the Lord towards spiritual maturity. You see, Philippians 3 contains one of the most detailed accounts of Paul's testimony in the Bible. Paul's testimony is in Acts 9, it's in Acts 22, it's also in Acts 26, but it's also here in Philippians 3. And Philippians 3 really contains one of the most detailed accounts of how this man got saved. Now, notice there's three parts here. Think about before conversion. Verses 5 through to 7. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness was in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. You see, here he's explaining to us that he was born a strict Jew. He grew up to be a proud Pharisee. One who trusted in his own self-righteousness. One because he was a Pharisee, persecuted the church. Think of a man here who paints the picture of himself as a self-righteous man who presents his own self-righteousness unto the Lord as a basis to be accepted by him. He was really a good, blameless, upright, respectable, religious Jew. And he was doing and saying all the right things in his own eyes. But he was devoid of grace. He had not been born again of the Spirit of God. He had not the experience nor the assurance of God's salvation. He was literally without God in this world. He was still in his sins. The sin problem had not been dealt with. He was in a hopeless religious state. Religious before God, but not in a relationship with him. And isn't there a vast difference? And isn't there thousands of people in Northern Ireland this morning who are religious, but they're not in a relationship with God? And there's a vast difference. And Paul is telling us, this is what I was like before I was converted. I was involved in the rites of the church. I was by race a Jew. I was respectable, blameless according to the law. I was religious, but not in a relationship with God. 
I want you to think about during conversion. What happened to this man? Now, the answer is simple. He met the risen Christ in the Damascus Road at noonday. As he neared the city of Damascus, Acts chapter 9. Look at the words in verse 12. At the very end of the verse, he says, I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, I've already told you that the word apprehended means to lay hold of, to, to grasp, to take a firm grip of. Now, now think of Saul of Tarsus on that road to Damascus, nearing the city with intent in persecuting the church, imprisoning some and murdering others. He, he wants nothing to do with Christ. He hates Christ. He hates the people of God. And that day... At that time, noon, as he neared Damascus, he was arrested by Christ. Christ literally came as a crucified, risen redeemer and laid hold upon him. And the moment Christ laid hold upon him, his eyes were opened. He became a, a changed and transformed man. He was never the same again. If any man be in Christ, the Bible says, he's a new creature, all things have passed away and all things have become new. And that day he discovered that his Religious works were worthless in the sight of God. And that what he needed to be clothed in was not the rags of self-righteousness, but he needed to be clothed in the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. He discovered that day that salvation was in Christ alone, that salvation is received by faith alone, that salvation is rooted in the grace of God alone. And that's what happened to him. He was arrested by Christ. Christ came and introduced himself to him and laid hold upon him and changed and transformed him. And then I want you to think of the third part. After conversion. See, after he was converted, he received a new heart. He had a new life. He had a new purpose, new desires. He had a new love. He had a new life with Jesus Christ, whereby he could grow in grace and in the knowledge of him. And, and Philippians 3, verses 11 onward to 14, are really all about Paul's testimony from the aspect of a life of holiness and sanctification and going on with God. Here he makes an honest assessment. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect. He's telling us here something about himself. That he's not sinlessly perfect. I don't perfectly know Christ he says. Or, 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 or perfectly. Um, um, uh, uh, do I know the power of his resurrection. Or perfectly know the fellowship of his sufferings. Or, or have been perfectly made conformable unto his death. But I've not yet reached the finishing line in the Christian race. He started the race. He continued in the race. He's pressing on. He's making progress. He's making steady progress. But I want to tell you this morning, he had a real spiritual life. He knew he was in a spiritual race. And he started well. And he's aiming to continue on that he might finish the race. If I change the analogy from the race to a battle, he's in a spiritual battle. He has started well. And his aim is that he must fight 
in order to be victorious and to be crowned. Remember, he's writing to the Philippian church. He's a prisoner at this time. He's under a death sentence. He's writing to encourage the church there. He wants them to go on with God. He wants them to make progress, press towards spiritual maturity. He's well aware of the dangers the church faced. See, the church faced this danger of legalism. Certain false teachers had come to the church. They were saying, it's great to have Christ. It's wonderful to have trusted him as your Lord and Savior. But you know, in in order to be fully accepted by him, you need something more. You need the rite of circumcision. You, you, You need the Jewish religion. You need Christ plus something else. And Paul knew that was false. There was also the danger of perfectionism. There were those who were saying, well, now that I'm saved, I'm sinlessly perfect. And therefore, I don't have to strive after holiness. And I have attained perfection. And, and in order to attain our uh, perfection, well, you've got to join our little group. And you can reach a stage and a point in your life where, where you never sin in thought and word and deed. And Paul knew that wasn't realistic. And he knew that was a real danger that would upset and, uh, and bring trouble to many. And then there was also the danger of antinomianism. Anti is against. Um, nomianism has to do with the law. Nomos is law in the Greek. Uh, against the law. And, and you see, there were those in the church at Philippi who had come in. And, and they were saying, well, you need Christ plus something else. And there was another wee group and they were saying, oh, no, you can reach a stage of sinless perfection in the Christian life. And then there was another group and saying, now, wait a minute. Now that you've got saved and you're saved by the grace of God, you, you're not under law. You, you don't need the law of God to live. You're saved now. So you can really live as you please. So, so the liberty of the gospel was turned into a license to sin, to do what was right in your own eyes. When it comes to the Lord's day, well, I, I don't want to go to church. I can't be bothered. I, I'll go down to the pub here and I'll have a few beer. and I'm sure I can go to the shop and, and buy myself 20 cigarettes. And uh, there's a woman, even though I'm married, and uh, I, I like the look of her. And I'm going to um, have a relationship with her. And um, so on and so forth. And you see, that was the mindset of the antinomian. Now that I'm saved, I don't need the law of God to live by. I can, I can, I can live whatever jolly well I well like. And, and Paul knew these dangers, the danger of legalism, the danger of perfectionism, the danger of antinomianism, and that's why he's writing his testimony. Remember, he has already said in verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. He knows the danger that has come to the church at Philippi, and this is the way he counter, uh, acts the, the danger. He, he talks about his own personal testimony. Before I was converted, this is how I left. This is how I was converted. I was arrested by Christ in the Damascus Road. And see, after I got converted, because I had a new heart and I had a new life, then I wanted to go on with God. I wanted to make progress. I I wanted to, to press on. And that's what he's talking about. You see, throughout this letter, Paul exposed these three dangers. And he reminds them that the Christian life is a race. And you know a race. Every race is a starting point. Every race has a route. And to win, you've got to keep going. You've got to keep to the route. You've got to keep your eye on the finishing line. And you've got to actually cross the finishing line. And that's, that's the background here. 
That's integral to Paul's testimony. He, he, he's telling this to the church, not in a proud, boastful way, but I believe in a, in a delightful, faithful, but patient way. He has told them these things to, to encourage them, to, to help them on with God, so that they too individually could make progress and, and press ahead towards spiritual maturity themselves. Now, I asked this morning, have you a testimony? To the saving and keeping power of Jesus Christ. Are you genuinely converted? Can you talk of your life before conversion? Can you talk about what happened to you at conversion? You know about a day in your life. A time. A place. Where you knelt down and you cried out. God be merciful to me the sinner. Or to use Peter's words. Save me Lord I perish. Now can you talk this morning about. After conversion. Because God gives you a new heart and a new life and a new goal and a new love. The day of God is honored. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And, and the Bible that was never read by you before, you've started reading the Bible because you've got a love for the word of God. As the psalmist said, thy law do I love. And the name of God is revered. It's no longer a swear word. And the cause of God, will you stand four square for that? Now, all these things are important. That's the background to this text. Let us therefore. I want you to see, secondly, the basis for spiritual maturity. You see, from verses 4 to 14, if you read it very carefully, Paul was talking about himself. Think of the many times he mentioned I. If you look at verse 4, for example, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, and, and then we'll come to verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Look at verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. So he's been talking about himself. Now look at the change when he comes to verse 15. Can you see it there? Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, where two we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me. You see, think of these words. He's now talking about us. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. The next verse, 16. Let us walk by the same rule. And then he adds... Let us mind the same thing. You see, as I've said, Paul is writing here from the, the, the jailhouse in Rome to the believers at Philippi to encourage them. And with all of these dangers all around him, he wants them to do something. Because here's the basis for making progress. Here's the basis for spiritual maturity, for going on with God. And part of that basis, in fact, foundational to that basis, is to focus on Christ and the gospel. Now, notice what he wants them to do. He wants them to focus on the essentials of the gospel. Do, do you see that? Look at verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, underline that word, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So, so we're going to pause there. 
Think about this word minded. He says, be thus minded. He mentions the word minded again in the verse. What does that to do with? That has to do with our thought process. That has to do with our thinking. That has to do with discernment, judgment, our interests. What, what we're disposed of to meditate upon. To, to regard a matter. To, to savor things. Literally and practically, he wants them to use their mind. He wants them to think things through. He wants them to comprehend things. He wants them to stay focused. And what does he want them to focus on? He wants them to focus on the fundamental truths of the gospel. You see, it's interesting he starts with the mind. Focus on the essentials of the gospel. That's how you make progress in the Christian life. It's not the first time he's used the word mind. Two and two, fulfill ye my joy. Be like-minded. Two and five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 3.15, be thus minded. The word minded, as I've said, is used twice in the verse 15. Four and four, two women in the church, be of the same mind. Four and eight, think in these things. In other words, mind these things. You see, he's referring to the mind of a believer. See, a believer has to think. And in a dark day and difficult times with dangers all around, we need to think. And what do we need to think of? Not of evil and wicked men and bad things happening, but we've got to think by focusing on the essentials of the gospel. It was Dr. Alan Kearns that said, wrong thinking leads to wrong living. Right thinking leads to right Living. Now, now that's a good maxim. See, the Christians in Philippi misunderstood the danger. Their, their mind was distracted and drawn away. And the, the, sadly, there was many in that church who were weak regards their thinking process. And it was having an adverse effect on them. And they were forgetting to make steady progress. They were forgetting to pursue and strive after holiness. Why? Because they were not focused on the essentials of the gospel. Look at this word. Verse 15. Let us therefore as many as be perfect. You see the word perfect there has nothing to do with sinless perfection. Remember Paul has already said in the verse 12. Uh, what has he told us? Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Look at verse 15. As many as be perfect. You, you might think, well, well, there's a contradiction. That, that couldn't be right. That seems odd, does it not? Well, you see, verse 12, when he mentions either were already perfect, is a reference to spiritual perfection. Not sinless perfection, but spiritual perfection. In other words, full and perfect conformity to Christ. Knowledge of him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, conformity to his death. Paul says, I've not reached it yet. I've not attained that yet. But I'm making progress toward it. I'll never be perfect, spiritually perfect, until I reach heaven and be with Christ. But verse 15 is not a reference to the same spiritual perfection. It's a reference to spiritual maturity. Christians need to be mature. They need to grow up. Babies need to grow and become um, teenagers and then into men and, and into young women. 
And um, there's a difference between a child and a man. Uh, and, And Paul says... Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, and the word perfect has to do with maturity, as many as be mature. Let us be thus minded. If you can grasp that that's a reference to spiritual maturity, that will help you to to understand the sense. We need to make progress in maturity. We could have a view on many things, lesser things. And Paul says, those lesser things, God shall reveal it unto you. And, and what things do we fill our mind with? Well, let me suggest this morning, we fill our mind with the person and work of Christ, who he is, what he's done. We uh, think of the fact that the righteousness of God is revealed in Christ. He says in verse 9, And they found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Um, Paul says, I count my rights, my rituals, my, my race, my, my respectability, my religion. I count them all but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness. But... The righteousness which is of God by faith. Remember, salvation's in Christ alone. It's not in the church. And I repudiate that teaching that says there's no salvation outside the church. That's Roman Catholicism. Salvation's not in the church. It's not in the Protestant church. I want to say that. And it's certainly not in the Free Presbyterian Church. But I want to add, neither is it in the Roman Catholic Church. It's not in any church. The Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And what is that name? It's the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone is the only Savior of sinners. So salvation's by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, as revealed in the scriptures alone. And that's what we believe. In Christ is a full and free and forever pardon. In Christ is a legal justification whereby we're accepted by God. In Christ we're adopted into God's family and we're treated as sons and daughters. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. In Christ we have access to God's throne. In Christ we, we have strength and help to live out the Christian life and make progress. In Christ, we we grow and develop a hatred for sin and a love for holiness and righteousness. In Christ, we have safety, certainty, enjoyment. In Christ, we have peace with God. In Christ, we have the peace of God. In Christ, we have assurance of heaven and home. And yes, there's battles and temptations and struggles and and believers still sin. And we need to be honest and open. And we, we need to remember if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's remember the blood of Christ cleanseth us from all sin. See, the devil could plunge us into despair, throw us on a guilt trip, saved. How could you do this? How could you do that? You're, you're not perfect. You know what we need to say to the devil? You're dead right. I'm not perfect. I press on towards spiritual perfection. One day I will be perfect, but as I press on, I desire to be mature. You see, I believe this morning that every believer who's genuinely converted will have a desire after holiness. The motto will be holiness unto the Lord. Every believer will have a burden to know more of Christ. Verse 10. Every believer born of the Spirit will have a mindset to make progress, to go on with God, to grow in grace. Every every believer will have a desire to press on toward heaven and home and, and, and to be with Christ. 
It was the great Billy Sunday that said, whenever he was converted, well, he was told this, Billy, here's a lesson on how not to backslide. Spend 15 minutes of each day listening to God speak to you from his word. Spend 15 minutes every day talking to God, regard his word. And Billy, spend 15 minutes every day talking about the Lord to others. You know, that great preacher saw thousands converted, and that's how he lived out his life. Listening to God, talking to God, and speaking for God on a daily basis. You see, there's a brand of Christianity abroad today. We're told holiness of life is not important. We're under grace. We're not under the law. The law is unimportant. There's no need to worry about it. No need to be bothered about it. Live as you please. Do what you want. And that's why many in the professing church can smoke and drink and lie and cheat and um, use foul language and go where they want, when they want. And yet the reality is nothing could be further from the truth. If you're in Christ, you will live for Christ. And, and, and you'll do it through the strength of Christ. And, and you'll have an eye one day, I'm going to be with Christ. In Christ, living for Christ, through the strength of Christ, to go one day to be with him. And as you do that, you fill your mind with Christ in his personal work. You think through the gospel. What's on your mind? Your mind must be in Christ and the gospel, not, not in the world and its ways. I know we can think about legitimate things. We can also think about illegitimate things, things to do with sin. Our mind's a battleground. Let's ponder all that we have in Christ. Let's think of Christ and his fullness and work. Let's contemplate Christ as we live out our life. Focus on the essentials of the gospel. And very, very quickly, we're not only to focus on the uh, uh, essentials of the gospel, but we're also to uh, focus on the experience of the gospel. Look with me very quickly at verse 16. Let us walk by the same rule. You see, literally, we're to live out our life in light of the gospel. If the gospel in Christ fills our heart and mind, as we comprehend that, as we ponder that, then we'll put it into practice. That's why Alan Kearns said that right belief results in right behavior. Right behavior is rooted in right belief. The order here is perfect. The mind first, and then let us walk by the same rule. You see, what we believe has an impact upon how we behave. And if we think right, then we'll walk right. And as we walk, of course, a walk speaks of steady progress. I believe the gospel must be put into practice. This is a daily walk. This is a steady walk. This is a walk with God. The idea when he says, um, let us walk by the same rule, he's thinking about the gospel as being a rule for life. He's thinking of the word walk. Think of a military walk. Think of a rank of soldiers or a company of soldiers, and they're all keeping rank. They're all keeping step. They're under the authority of their superior officers, and they, they know they'll be disciplined if they step out of line. And under the eye of their superior officer, and with the threat of being disciplined and brought into judgment, they, they, they keep the rule. They, they keep in step. If I change the analogy from a soldier to an athlete, think of a number of athletes running side by side in a race, and think of the lines in the track. The athlete must stay in line. 
He can't swap lanes. He can't say, well, I prefer the outside lane or the inside lane. Whatever lane he's appointed, he must run in that lane. Otherwise, he'd be disqualified. You see, there's rules to keep. And as we continue, as we press on, we're to walk by the rule of the gospel. And here's the exercise of the gospel, and we're to focus on that. Rules and laws, of course, are not popular, even among believers. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do what I want? Why can't I do what I feel? Why can't I do what I think or go where I please? Because the rules of the gospel are rules that are set by God. The gospels are rule for life. We're no longer under the condemnation of the law, but we're under its code as we live out the gospel. Therefore, we want to live and walk in the spirit. Therefore, we want to live and walk in the scriptures. Therefore, we want to walk side by side, hand in hand with the Savior. And because we love him, we want to obey him. And, and because we, we, we are in fellowship with him and in a relationship with him, we want to live to please him as it's possible by the grace and help of God. It's interesting that this was mentioned again in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6, and I believe it's in the verse um, uh, 16. And it's in the context of speaking of Christ. Listen to these words in Galatians chapter 6. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. It is not tremendous. Focus on the exercise of the gospel. Now, my time is gone. Focus on the examples of the gospel. Because look what he says, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk. So as ye have us for an example. Think of Paul as an example. Think of Epaphroditus as an example. who almost died for the sake of the gospel. Think of Timothy. And, and think of other excellent believers in, in the days of the Philippian church. Here's examples that they could consider. Men whom they could watch and observe. Men whom they could listen to. Men whom they could follow. Could I suggest this morning, let's live to be a godly example. Focus on the examples of the gospel. Remember, people are watching you in your home and outside of the home. And you want to be a, a good and faithful example to others who observe uh, your, your way of life and your testimony. Because the only thing you leave behind is a testimony. The only thing you leave behind is your influence. And you could be an influence for God and good or, or an influence for sin and Satan. What type of an example are you and I? And that's the basis for making spiritual progress. Focus on the, um, the, the, the essentials of the gospel. Uh, focus on the exercise of the gospel. Focus on the examples of the gospel. And in light of that, we'll make progress. My, my third point had to do with the blessings of spiritual maturity. And the blessings, of course, are the hope that we have in Christ. And the happiness that we have in Christ. Because the Bible says, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. And then the holiness that we have in Christ. And that's part of the blessing. We're a hopeful people. We're a happy people. We're a holy people. Because Christ is with us on the journey. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this morning.